Hello everyone, welcome to Rantbox. I'm John Clay, your usual host alongside Dee. How are you doing today, Dee? You good? Hey John, yeah, I'm good. Much, much better since we invested in a fan for the house in foiling. <laughs> cool. <laughs> really excited um, to interview Alex today. Yes, so much so. Alex, you're there quite patiently waiting for us to go through our usual co-host host nonsense. How are you? <laughs> Talk to uh, yeah, I'm good. Sweltering. Um, luckily a little cooler today, so uh, happier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was a bit of a thunderstorm, um, a slight one. I only saw lightning. I didn't really get that much rain where I am. But that's not really important right now. What is important is you've written a book. Um, first, can we know a little bit about yourself before we delve into uh, your take on hyperreality? Um, a little bit about myself. Uh, this feels like one of those like matchstick moments where, you know, have you heard the story where you light a matchstick and you have to tell your life story in the time it takes the matchstick to sort of <laughs> burn out? Um, well, you've got 30 seconds. Good <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, I guess I'm, I'm the writer. Um, I've been writing about hyper-reality for about uh, three years. Um, and reading for longer than that. Uh, yeah, I, that's probably appalling uh, introduction. No, yeah. that's great. Mate, you beat the matchstick. You know, own it. It's a good day. I think I burnt my fingers. <laughs> uh, burnt fingers notwithstanding. Um, you've written a book. Um, mm. I feel it's more prevalent to the truth that you tell us what it's about. Uh, and the matchstick is twice as long, so you're okay. Okay, thank you. Um, so the book um, was basically, uh, I, I was interested in analyzing my life from the perspective, through the, through the critical lens of Jean Baudrillard, who um, was a, a French philosopher and, um, sort of cultural theorists working uh, in the last century. Uh, and he came up with various sort of theories about simulations and how they have come to govern our lives. Uh, and I suppose the book to a large extent is about how his ideas have sort of come to fruition. Um, and how we can uh, analyze the way the, the systems and the structures that we, that we occupy today um, can be viewed through his sort of um, philosophical sort of like outlook. Um, so yeah, I suppose the book um, tackles some of these things. Um, obviously not all in their entirety. Um, I'm not sure you could achieve that in um, a short 80 page pamphlet, essentially. I mean, that's what the book runs through a tradition of that. Um, so yeah, I think, I think that's, that, that kind of encompasses what the book's sort of dealing with. Sure. Um, we have some questions for you. Uh, Dee, you have the magical power or the technological know-how to produce these questions for Alex on screen. Let's, let's okay. see if we can create the magic today. <laughs> okay, here we go. Um, just going to share my screen with you all and do a very fancy slideshow. 
Hold on a second. Oh, well, okay. I know the technology. <laughs> the, the future has arrived. <laughs> so this is John's question. Uh, yeah. Wow. So John, do you want to say your question out loud just for anyone who's maybe watching and for some reason can't read the text? Okay, for listeners, uh, when did you first encounter Bulgiard and was there any negative consequence of taking his red pill? Okay, so um, traditionally I kind of was working in the, uh, following my, um, my MA, I was working in sort of the areas of um, class consciousness and um, working class sort of politics. Um, and I always found... Um, sort of the French post-structuralists um, a little bit convoluted. Um, so I'm talking here about people like Derrida, Lacan, Foucault. I, f I found them um, almost detrimental to um, class politics. Um, but at the same time, you know, in my own life, you know, I'd be walking around, say, Primark, and I wanted to know why I felt like the lights were so bright. And I wanted to know why the world felt like it had been turned up a notch. <clears throat> and I was just doing a lot of reading. And um, every time I get the, the sort of French post-structuralist came up, there was this, this other figure who was like lurking in the background, um, whose name was kind of said with a little bit of detaste. Um, distaste um, so I was like well okay who's this guy Jean Baudrillard um, and I started reading and it made so much sense to me and it it, it was it explained so much of the world in a way that um, seemed prescient and um, it gave the world a kind of clarity um, that made that just seemed to make sense to me, and I and I think this occurred in I want to say, 2016, 2017. Um, yeah. So prior to that, I was sort of reading the classics, sort of like Noam Chomsky, um, who famously had um, sort of a um, a problem with these post-structuralists, uh, but. Famously, Baudrillard sort of said, wanted to distance himself from the postmodernists, you know. So, so, yeah, that's kind of how I discovered him, sort of reading the library, I suppose. And was there any negative aspect to um, Yeah, of course, of course. Uh, I mean, someone described him as, um, so he follows the tradition of sort of Nietzsche. He's, he actually says that, you know, he's a, I don't think he says it, but he sort of um, goes at the angle of, of um, you know, he's a disciple of the Nietzsche, uh, sort of Nietzscheian tradition um, in many, in many respects. So a lot of his ideas kind of um, are designed to fundamentally change the way truth is, is looked at, um, history. Um, and someone described him as a sort of like, philosophical terrorist um, in that in that regards uh, so yeah of course uh, you you read him and he's very challenging he's going to challenge a lot of um, your conceptions about the world um, especially when you get you know in his earlier work 
where he makes that the, the sort of famous break from Marx in, in a book like The Mirror of Production, um, where he says, you know, Marx essentially isn't radical enough. Um, it's, it's a mirror of the capitalist system. Um, and, you know, you, you, you take that to, I don't know, you're a socialist meeting and people are going to be hostile to that. Okay. Um, before moving on to Dee's question, um, can you give us an example of that negativity or hostility that you encountered, uh, perhaps within yourself, not necessarily from the external? Yeah, I mean, so um, how do you translate um, a theory like um, the, the, philosoph the philosophy of June Baudrillard? How do you live a philosophy like that? Um, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't provide any answers. Um, and it sort of and it sort of ends up becoming um, just a way to look at the world. But then, what? Where where is the like praxis? Where is the process that um, that you can like come out the other end? And he 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 provides that. I mean, he says, you know, he's a he's a nihilist. You know, he he makes that quite um, quite obvious in a book like. Um, simulations and simulacra you know in, in fact he says um you know nihilism is in fact kind of uh not good enough he, he says um it would it would be um it would be nice to be a nihilist if there was still a radicality as it would be nice to be a terrorist that's what he says you know so it could be very easy then to fall into a very uh, starbucks version of what he does um of course yeah. Yeah, of course. Yeah, a whole video in itself. But Dee, um, I've spoken way too much. You have questions. You have many questions. Yeah, we have so many questions and I hope we can fit them in because it's so, so interesting talking with you. Um, mine is not on a fancy slide because my wording is just not as precise as John. So I'm just going to we'll go for what's on the top of my head. Um, I, I thought you made a really interesting comment on page 13. Not that you're going to remember what, what you said on what page, but you were talking about um, vegan activists in mm. kind of not the most flattering way. So I just mm -hmm. was really curious, like, what do you think of like veganism? Uh, I was a vegetarian for a decade. Um, and then I moved to China where it is almost impossible to, uh, to have any kind of uh, sort of dietary requirements at times. So, I've, I've also uh, been a vegan. Uh, I tried veganism for about a year. Um, so I know, I know where the people are coming from with these sort of diets, but that, that wasn't really, the diet's not, I, I don't care really actually what people eat. Um, but um, I think there's um, something else at the heart of something like um, the activism um, and of course they make some fantastic points, you know, like um, I think I stay in the book, um, they get two things right, the comfort of crotch drops and the analysis of legality as the product of power. Mm -hmm. of, of course, like fantastic point. Um, but I think there's a kind of element that feeds into perhaps a more... Um, cultural um what's the word a cultural manifestation where 
people want to feel um, like they're fighting for something, like they stand for something in a culture that kind of stands for nothing. Um, so and I think something like veganism can provide someone with uh, a framework that might make them feel sort of um, pious to someone to, who perhaps can't afford um, vegan food, perhaps lack the education to know what happens to an animal um, in, a, in a slaughterhouse. Um, and to, to a certain extent, um, veganism is, is a necessary, of course, to show people this, what happens, you know, but um, I, some, I'm, I'm kind of uh, critical of, of some of the ways that they go about it at times in terms of like telling people, you know, oh, you're a piece of shit because you're eating a hamburger, you know, you're not going to change hearts and minds by telling someone that. Does that, does that make any sense? Yeah, it does. So it's, it's not that the reason I ask is cause I, you know, I have lots of socialists in my circle being in the mm. kind of, you know, in the kind of group that we're in. Mm. And, you know, I've sometimes heard people say that you shouldn't bother to change that so that little actions don't make a difference because we need like a whole revolution. Mm. And I kind of like, um, so I was just curious whether it was that kind of approach, but it sounds like, you don't disagree with veganism necessarily, but more no. the activism, the way that people express yeah. and, themselves and, around it. Yeah, of course. And this transcends veganism, doesn't mm -hmm. it? I, I think I was using that as, a, as an example of how, um, yeah, they make some really good points and perhaps we should move away from the consumption and brutal slaughter of animals. Um, but at the same time, I think we need to think of, again, it boils down to the process. How, how do you... Um, how do you uh, broach these topics? And you need to do them in sort of sensitive ways and ways that aren't, um, don't provide a kind of narcissistic gratification for yourself. You know, oh, look how sanctimonious and pious and that I can be because, you know, I'm better than you because I don't consume the flesh of an animal. Yeah, I totally, totally yeah. agree. Like, because um, I've, I've been vegan for fucking ages, but I actually had mm. to stop for a long time because I suffered from quite severe eating disorders um, to the mm. point of hospitalization. And it was something yeah. that just would always become like a massive trigger. Yeah, so I yeah. fucking hate it when vegans will preach. Cause even to me as someone who was a vegan and tried my best and all of that, you know, at times when it was like either like be in hospital or eat animal products, it was like, well, obviously like I'm going to put like my physical and mental health first, like, sorry. <laughs> and now like I, I'm in a yeah. good enough place to do it, but I just like the judgment is, uh, so not helpful. I totally yeah. hear you there. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Cool. Ooh. So over to you, John. Shall I get the fancy slide up again? Yeah, please do. Um, once we do this, um, there is a question which we haven't got on the slide that uh, Dee actually brought up in our dialects before this video. And I think it'd be very important to do that after we do this, because I feel time is slowly but surely dispersing into nothingness. Yeah. Um, so, next question. Are you conscious of presenting the complex in simple terms that, in, that any elevation or celebration of such work, your book, for example, might encourage devolved copycat works by others? Um, to a certain extent, I feel like my books are kind of a copycat work anyway. Um, you know, I was using the model of, you know, when Mark Fisher wrote uh, an 80 page book, Capitalist Realism, um, awesome. it was, 
it, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, I'm not, people talk about my, that book now, um, like, oh, isn't it reductive? And, and you get kind of this like silly sort of um, academic disdain for that text at times. Um, I've seen that. And for me, um, that book was so important and it follows um, a tradition, which is a, a, a left-wing socialist tradition of um, pamphleteering, I think. The idea that you could reduce quite complex um, academic um, other concepts that might appear in, you know, a 400, 500 page book can be reduced down to um, a very urgent text that can be printed quite cheaply, disseminated and um, read very briefly, you know, on a bus um, and in a way that um, makes perfect sense to people. So in that respect, uh, I was kind of trying to follow that model and to produce a text that um, maybe people would, it would just get people thinking about um, the way that they view the world, not as this, um, with an, with an element of actuality, but with um, this idea that the world might be uh, made up of a certain level of simulation. And uh, I wanted people to question, you know, am I experiencing something real here? Or is this something that is, that is virtual, that is designed and constructed by someone usually with a lot of money, um, to, to put me in a mindset, in a frame of mind that is um, gonna have some kind of ideological outreach. So that, that was sort of, uh, I'm, I'm not worried about other people. I mean, I see it already. Um, I always thought it was kind of um, original to take someone like Baudrillard and write a book examining the world from his um, perspective, um, or at least examining my life through the lens of his perspective. Um, but you, uh, it's, it's something I keep seeing time and time again over the sort of like past 12 months or something. I think more people are, uh, are, real, are just realizing how important some of his ideas could be to explaining the world. And yeah, so I'm, I'm not really interested in like owning that. Yeah, it would be impossible to, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Meeting, especially, I mean, this very setup, as much as it's uh, framed as a discussion about big ideas and how they can be reduced in society, ultimately, the, the framework for it, the foundation, is so that people can know about your item and yeah. hopefully, yeah. you know, buy it. That in itself, um, I think maybe pollution is the wrong word, but it definitely informs how we treat you and how you dialogue with us. And that mm. in itself, I think. Quite, um, quite worthy to note. Yeah, I mean, um, there's a, the, yeah, there's there's also a, a, a sort of capitalist, capitalistic element to it as well. Because like, I could have written a 500 page book. Who's going to publish that? You know, who am I? So, um, you got to start somewhere. And I I just thought, I looked at the writers I admire, Mark Fisher, and I thought, how did he start? How how did he? Um, create something and um, give birth to something that um, occupied a, a space in the in consciousness and that gave way to, you know, him exploring other ideas like hauntology, um, for example. Um, so 
yeah a, a lot of it also boiled down to the fact that like you know no one was going to publish a 500 page book by me well let's just hope that there is some alternative universe where capitalism doesn't exist and you haven't had to reduce yourself at all if not somewhat um see we have another question which uh, we spoke about and it feels for me to ask it simply because it's you that came up with it even though technically it's inherent to the history of this channel and inherent to how I look. So if you want to ask. Yeah, sure. So um, your book was amazing and super interesting. It covered so many diverse topics. And one of the things that I was wondering about, especially with everything going on at the moment, is um, just kind of the absence of race in your book. Mm. So was there a conscious decision or I guess kind of like, um, yeah, why, why wasn't that included? Is it related to type of reality? Yeah, can you tell us a little bit more about that? Okay, so um, I suppose a lot of people have said I'm a bit of a class reductionist at times. Um, and as a white man, do I feel qualified to sort of talk about race? Um, and it's, it's, it's one of those very difficult topics, isn't it? And I think when you're, when you're dealing with... Um, a topic like hyperreality, which, you know, some people are going to read that and be like, what nonsense. Um, and I'm to a certain extent, I'm okay with that. You know, I'm okay with someone reading it and, and saying, you know, that's nonsense. But then to conflate that nonsense with something as urgent as race and those kind of issues, it seems, um, it seems kind of wrong footed. Uh, at the same time, I think there's this idea that I have that hyperreality, the, the structures that give way to these mechanisms that control us. Um, it, it transcends race in a certain sense, but it also it kind of uh, it gives birth to the, the structures that, that, uh, that, that cause a disease like racism. Mm-hmm. so does does that make sense yeah kind of because i guess a lot of your book was talking about how the things we think are real are not real so you're talking basically about a lot of fake stuff whereas racism is something and is, that is very real in terms of mm-hmm. its effect on the world and all of, of that course, so yeah. i kind of see how that's like a tangential subject because you're more presenting how things are illusions whereas mm-hmm. that's maybe perhaps out of the scope of what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. But I see with what you're saying there, that it's kind of like some of the tribalism around the way that people align themselves with certain ideologies, ways of wanting to be perceived, marketing mm-hmm. and segments and all of that can also fit in with the mindset of why people think in yeah. like racially tribal yeah. or racist yeah. ways. Yeah. 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 Brilliant. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> um, I have a follow up question. Uh, of course I do. Um, if we have this idea that we can't in this um, subject talk about race, yet we can talk about issues of, say, safe spaces mm. um, or sexuality, why do we treat one as less of a taboo than the other, dependent upon who it is that's asking the question, Alex? Uh, very good question. Um, I don't know. What, what, what... Me up at night, Alex? That's all I do, thinking about questions to ask you. <laughs> So if you think about questions, do you think about answers? 
What would your answer be to my question? Um, I, I, I would have to think about it. Um, it, it you know, I, it would be very easy, wouldn't it, for me to um, give you some kind of response to that question without um, considering it. And I'm not in the business of um, answering questions that I, I, um, I wouldn't want to answer without actually thinking about it. And again, that isn't that, that's kind of our culture or labor, isn't it? This idea that, um, you know, you have to have answers for everything. And if you don't, then um, there's something wrong with you. Well, let's blame Jeremy Paxman. Um, and let's also remember how good he has been. But let's um, do this deal for me, Alex. Can we do a follow-up interview where you do have an answer? Of course, yeah. Good answer. All right, so um, if we can move on to the next structured question. Is there, I hope there's one. There should be at least two more. Yes. Okay, um, we've asked that one. Ah, new one. Okay, so for some people in our audience, the idea that water is synthetic might be a shock. Yes, put down the Evian bottle. Um, how do you deal with such discoveries? How do you propose others process them? Uh, read, read my book. I have a book coming. <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's good. We should give up prizes, Dee. I think, give us your address, Alex. We shall send you an Evian bottle or subscription. <laughs> I have a bottle that I want to show you guys, actually. And I want to, I want to ask you what you think of it. Yes, um, please Oh, turning the tables. Excellent. Um, this, is one <laughs> of, this, this is one of my most prized possessions. Um, what is it? Porsche Center Wilms at Porsche water. Bloody hell, that's posh water. Yeah. Um, how do I feel um, about it being in your hands is the real question. Um, I, I, can I make a video with you later when I've been able to process that this is happening? Because now it's just eating itself. You shouldn't so, have this. So once you, once you buy a second Porsche, they give you the, the bottle of Porsche water. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm joking. I'm joking. I don't own a second. Are you? Are you? <laughs> if you're listening to this and you can't see the bottle, we'll, we'll try and figure out a way. In fact, Alex, no, yeah. can you hold it up to the screen just yeah. for a little bit longer? Because that means that Dee can actually take a picture of this or take some kind of like... Um, oh, you're, you're, hold yeah. on, hold on. You know what? I'm such a muppet. I don't know how to do a print screen. You can do thing. it after. I think. Hold on, hold on. You know what? I'm going to do this old school. Yeah. I'm just going to take a picture on my phone. Okay, okay, do it. Do yeah. It. You know, I like it. That's so funny. Thank you. Got it. There you go. More no, so, so someone um, read the essay on water bottles. When I, last year, I wrote the essay. And when, when people were saying, you know, what, what are you working on? I was like, a, a, an essay on water bottles. I think most people thought I'd kind of gone crazy. Um, and I really didn't need that, <laughs> you know, but the last thing I needed was, um, you know, people thinking that I'd completely gone off the rails, but um, I sort of shared the essay around um, on water production and um, how they, how they augmented reality to create this strange world where people buy different bottles of water from the same water source. Um, so someone, I, I, I had it in my mind that I wanted to like collect some water bottles just to use as examples of um, like sign value, for example. Um, and someone got it for me. 
uh, don't worry, I didn't, I didn't go to the, and check out the Porsches. Uh, <laughs> we'll have to take your word for it. This being hyper-reality, who knows? Yeah. This, this is when... Like, Alex Maisie, I've never fucking met you before. It's messing with my mind. Um, we're running out of time, and we have a lot of questions to ask. Uh, Dee, yep. a question, or do you have yeah. another new question? So I have, yeah, I have two more questions if we have time for them. Um, so my next one was just, um, you made a really interesting quote, again, around um, charitable donations. So you basically, in uh, on one of the pages, said charitable, charitable donations of anonymity are the worst kind of narcissism. Uh, it was so interesting. So what was it, what is it about? You, did, you didn't finch the rest of it. Uh, the, the rest, rest of the, the sentence? Like, the, yeah. What yeah. was the rest of it? <laughs> um, it's, I, I think I said something like, um, it's the worst kind of uh, narcissism. Um, it's the mas masturbatory act of signif signifying to oneself, um, you know. So it's incredibly narcissistic sort of, um, sort of thing but anyway sorry what was the rest of the question yeah so obviously thank you for reminding us because obviously the masturbatory part is very important for people mm -hmm. to understand mm -hmm. um so what is it about charitable donations that make you feel that way and also especially about them being anonymous um to be honest with you the the um that sort of section was more about um the idea of charity as a way of changing the world when in fact it's, um, you know, the, the neoliberal systems kind of um, are about just taking someone who isn't functioning and getting them to reintegrate back into a system that is ultimately going to um, be uh, dysfunctional. Um, you know, it, it's kind of, it's like the illusion of, of change, the illusion of, um, of, of, of creating any kind of structural changes. Um, and I sort of talk about in the book about how it's actually, um, people profit from this, don't they? Um, yeah. People make a lot of money from charities. Uh, I talk about, you know, talk about that as well. But uh, I think in terms of um, the anonymous sort of donation, it, I think that's more about like the narcissism of the individual that is perpetuated in our society. Hmm. Interesting. I know we don't have time to like go into these. In, in oh, we do. Go for it. Okay, good. <laughs> because like, I'm really curious about both aspects of that. Um, because like, I totally hear you that, you know, in essence, if, if the system's still broken, you're just pouring water into like a leaky vessel, right? Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. the problems are still there, but does that mean that we shouldn't do anything to help? Yeah, I mean, that's, I'm happy to take that criticism on board. And um, I think there are plenty of people who are um, very genuine in wanting to, um, you know, to, to help people. And, but more and more, um, and this is only something I can say from my personal life, is like that kind of activism happens on a kind of grass, grassroots level um and a lot of people aren't getting paid for it either um i'm not sure how how much of you know i think of someone like mark goldring um the ceo of oxfam getting paid um over a hundred thousand pounds a year um who i think 
only recently revealed his expenses account um, probably does drive a Porsche. <laughs> and I wonder how um, genuine he is um, in actually wanting to change a system that has served him very well. Um, yeah, interesting. So kind of like, would charities want themselves to, because if a charity was successful, they'd make themselves extinct at some point, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, I think um, so. I think so. And then you also, you, you can go back again, I do this in the, in the water production essay, where you have a look um, at some, somewhere like WaterAid, and you see that it's been set up by um, the water board companies in the UK. Now, have they been, have they treated us well? Um, you know, uh, the Guardian, you know, said that um, Thames Water is responsible for so much uh, environmental degradation and, and yet they profit, you know, they make close to like a billion um, over like a four year period or something. And we're going to trust them to go to other countries and look after those people. Yeah, I guess so. That- it kind of sounds more like you're, well... I don't want to put words in your mouth, but the way that I'm interpreting what you're saying is it sounds like we should be very cautious about the organizations that we give money to and how that's going to be effectively used. And it kind of sounds like some of the smaller ones, just from my own experience, might be more um, less top heavy. So sometimes when you actually directly donate to someone's GoFundMe or there are people who have on the ground created like things, but without huge structures, then that money goes effectively so, yeah. I mean, that's a huge question just in terms yeah, of, of course. I, yeah, like, I don't think you're going to get people to run a big business for little money because that's just, I don't know. Not yeah, I mean, I, yeah. <laughs> I, I hear that, though, all of the time, like, oh, you know, we want a good CEO running our company, so we need to pay him well. And it's like, okay, but like. I get very frustrated. You know, I walk down a high street. I'm, I'm from the north of England. I walk down a high street in one of the most economically deprived areas um, in the country and you have people panhandling um, for donations. And then you, you go and have a look at these um, charities and you find that like, I don't know, 70 pence from that, from that donation is actually going to implement change. And then you go and have a look at what implementing change is and you see maybe 50% of that will go to some kind of bureaucratic structure where, you know, um, people are, it's paying people's wages, usually people who are on wages that are three times the national average. Um, and you soon, when you, when you, I guess the whole, you know, you follow the money, you realize that um, at the end of it, what, what's changed, you know, what's actually changed here other than perpetuating a system that um, is, is generating money for bureaucratic structures that, that don't care about anyone, really. I mean, and, and yeah, perhaps, perhaps I'm incredibly pessimistic here. Yeah, um, I believe you are. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to take that charge. The, the only difference is, like, I've been down to, like, church poverty actions, and I've been, like, no one there is getting paid money, you know. No one, no one there is getting uh, an expenses account. Um, you know, people bring what they can. People will bring food. People um, will give their time and their labour um, to trying to help people. 
and I think at that grassroots level, um, change is more likely to manifest than it is in, you know, in an office. But at the same time, you're right. Maybe I'm probably talking out of school, aren't I? I, I, I have no experience in, in charities. Uh, um, I've worked in one, so. I would like to lend my experience very quickly because I'm so conscious of time going. We have to do follow-up videos, Alex. Your life yeah, no, of course, of course. <laughs> um, but yeah, I worked for 11 years as a charity fundraiser on the mm. street. Um, mm. And essentially, there would be a reduction uh, in people, uh, uh, people's attitudes towards charity because they had that view that you have, which mm. I think needs to be aimed hyper-specifically at certain charities for it to hold water. And you don't really hold back in your book. You do name um, certain charities, as you've done here. But I think it's so much more of a, of a problem that we think, well, the bigger systems aren't really doing anything for the change that I want to see. I want to be in that church. I want to be in that community center, seeing the change. Isn't that something that is self-gratifying on a smaller scale, but doesn't yeah. necessarily, yeah? Yeah, and I think um, to a certain extent, my criticisms of charities in the book were also about getting people to think, um, think more critically about um, the illusions that companies give. You know, so I talk about water aid and um, this idea that, um, you know, money from their, from their products goes towards um, charities. Well, actually, um, they, they make a lot of money from this. And uh, yeah, so I think it was more about getting people to think critically. Um, and also, I, I think I'm one of those people who I like to agitate. I like to, I get, I like to get under people's skin. I like to get people riled up because then at least they're feeling something. Okay. Um, I know I've got, what, one more question mm -hmm. on the whole uh, screen, screen-ometer? <laughs> yeah, shall I share it? Yeah, yeah, please. Um, we'll be real quick and then we'll have to wrap up and help yeah. you sell your book, Alex. So, um, are we ready? Okay, so you've accused some homeless charities of failing to address the root cause of homelessness. What root causes and why do you think they commit themselves to this fallacy? I feel we've covered some of that in our natural speech, yeah. but if you have anything to add, yeah. then please, this is your Yeah, sure. I have one other thing that I would like to add to that. And I think there's this idea that, um, I, again, I say it in the book, that um, homelessness is evidence of the system's failure. There's this idea that, you know, oh, look at all of these homeless people. This is evidence of capitalism not working. Well, I think that's to fundamentally depower homelessness almost because I think the, the iconography, the environments of homelessness actually serve the system quite well. I think, you know, this is, this is what happens to you if you don't pay your rent to your landlord. This is, this is you know, it has a very powerful effect on the, the, the consciousness. And for people to say, oh, you know, it's evidence of the system's failure. Not really. I think, um, you know, and you see this time and time again, this idea that, oh, I'm so anxious. Um, it, it's, it's evidence that capitalism doesn't work. No, this is exactly how capitalism is structured to make you feel. Um, 
because someone who is content sitting at home, they're not out spending money. They're not out um, giving people, you know, oh, I'm so panic stricken, you know, I need to go out and I, there's so much wrong with me as a person. I need to go and give my money to, to Gucci so I can symbolize, um, you know, how, how successful I am as an individual. And, um, you know, I can become the person I want to be um, that all this advertising, you know, symbolizes to me what I could become, what I could manifest as a human being. Um, and you only achieve that through um, heightening people's anxiety, through making people feel depressed. Um, so, yeah, uh, that's something I would like to add to, to, to that question. That is so, so interesting because you're right. Like, I feel like Tories love homelessness because they need yeah, us they to love see. It. Yeah, they, they love need it. us to see that, like, because that's the whole thing. Like, you deserve yeah. what happens yeah. to you. If you, you're you successful, you deserve that. Yeah. If you're in the gutter, yeah. you deserve that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's something we're told time and time again. And, um, yeah, they, it's, it serves its purpose. It, it shows the, a certain class of person that if you fail to play along, if you fail to get a wage, if you fail to, um, to follow the commands and demands and the simulations of the system, this is what happens to you. And fuck you. Mm. Like, that's how they feel. Um, Alex, D, we've run out of time. Um, I've always wanted to say it like that. But yeah, can we do this again? Because <laughs> it's, it's, there's way too much um, in there that I can't we can't possibly open it up now and actually say that we can end it in time. Alex, where can people buy your book? When can they buy your book? Um, there is a collection of poetry coming out in, um, in September from a small indie publishing house called um, Bad Betty Press. Um, the, there's going to be a forward by Rachel Long. Um, I have two poems in that collection. I want people to go by that. I think that's going to be really cool. Um, my book is with Broken Sleep Press, uh, Broken Sleep Books, um, and that's out in October 30th, um, living in Disneyland. So, Do you feel there's a problem bringing it out so close to Halloween? No, I, lo- <laughs> I, lo- I like it. It's spooky. we'll leave it on that note fantastic where can people find you online alex uh just google alex Maisie m-a-z-e-y um i'm sure my twitter will come up um and i also want to thank you guys for having me um on the show where definitely have to do it again i I really i really enjoy and i love these these videos that you're putting out on brandbox i think i binge watch them so oh wow okay good stuff um, and apologies for anything that we, <laughs> we may have left out in various different topics. We will return to them as much as possible. Dee, where can people find you? Um, so you can find me at, oh shit, I'm on a social media detox, aren't I? <laughs> so you can find me, but I won't be there. Um, at Deanna Bruhex. I shall link it in the comments to Rantbox. Like Rantbox is literally the only place I'm actively online now because I'm taking a month off. But yeah, I, I do music and poetry and things at Deanna Bruhex on Instagram and Facebook the necessary evils. Cool. And John, how about you? Where can people find um, you? 
Um, I don't know. You're just going to have to like guess. That's just your mission if you wish to choose to take it. But it's yeah. Scary, yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, really? God, if only I could be. Um, so it's time for us to go. I hope you guys enjoy this. We do rant box every Friday because that's just how angry we are at the world, but also hopeful in many different ways. Thank you and have a wonderful day or evening. Thank you. Thank you.